When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and John Favreau, as well as the rest of the team at Lucasfilm, have dreamed up over the past 40 years. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, Brian Gaughan, and I are recording this week's show on Saturday, September 23rd, 2023. So, Brian, we are now six episodes into Star Wars Ahsoka. And would you say the teasing phase of the show is now over? Yeah, I think we now know for sure uh-huh. who's there. Yes. We, we've seen the characters. Mm-hmm. And um, I am not disappointed. No. I think no. I think Lars does an amazing job. Do you feel, though, that he's a little heavier than you would have thought? Well, I mean, look, <laughs> you know, the problem is... He just, it's just, uh, in, in the cartoons, he was really thin. He, and then if you've seen Lars, yeah. I mean, he's just like his brother. They're thin guys. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you see him and he's got a dad bod. Well, that's always the problem when you're playing the live action version of an animated character and, and and think about it the poor makeup guy who you know yes. it's like okay oh, he's got to be blue and and the problem is he's got to be blue and menacing not blue and sweet and charming like the blue man group i mean that's hard to do the eyes were amazing though they did an amazing job with the eyes they did they did i i it's one of those things where after the fact very much looking forward to whether or not they reveal that that was done in post or those are lenses, but... Yeah, me too. And then Ezra is just... I, they couldn't have found a better person. But did you notice he looks a lot like his dad did in that one picture? He did. He did. Which I thought is... Br- I mean, it's like Dave is doing exactly what he wants to do. Mm-hmm. And by doing it, he is doing a lot of fan service mm-hmm. because you know people are losing their minds. When... Ezra came up on the screen. Mm-hmm. Devin had to yell at me because I was cheering mm-hmm. and I was cheering a little loud. Mm-hmm. And it was just, I knew it was going to happen, but when it happens, oh man, was it emotional. Anyone who's listened to the show knows I'm a fan of Dave's work. But what's great about Star Wars Ahsoka is it, it really does now, and especially where we are in episode six with you know all of the the chess piece is really moving it makes me kind of giddy to see what he's going to do with that movie that he's developing for lucasfilm the one where the characters from the mandalorian the book of boba fett and ahsoka all supposedly get together for an avengers sized star wars limited series crossover skeleton skeleton crew too may be involved in that well i i will be intrigued to see that but Am I getting ahead of myself here? We, we, we always do, though. Grand Admiral Thrawn's going to be the big bad of that, right? Yes. You think? Yes. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. But what he has to do, though, mm-hmm. is he has to end it mm-hmm. because, of course, we know that Thrawn is not a major character after a certain time. 
But um, I do think he will be. A, I mean, David's using all his creations, mm-hmm. including the the witches, yep. the Night Sisters. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're talking about what are those gods called? Oh, you're right. Yeah, they're talking about that, and he's bringing everything in, but he's not throwing it in your face. He's like sneaking it in in like dialogue. There was a one dialogue da, where da, da, I'm da, 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 da. okay, all right, we'll we're, we're gonna talk about this in the second <laughs> half of the show. So, all right, so but before that, we have news, and I don't know if you've noticed, folks, but looking at Lucasfilm has a a brand new sponsor, and it's Touring Plan's own travel agency. And if you're thinking of heading back. Back down to Walt Disney World in the not-so-distant future. These obviously knowledgeable folks can help you plan your dream vacation. They they can even toss in a free subscription to touring plans. So again, if you're planning on visiting Central Florida sometime soon, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. And who knows, maybe the Touring Plans folks can help you book a trip to San Francisco, which... If you're a Star Wars fan, you really need to get to this Thanksgiving. And and not just because the Fairmont has an absolutely killer Thanksgiving Day buffet. I mean, we're talking <laughs> herb-roasted chicken with traditional dressing, uh, chestnut sage and brown butter. And I, I, it, they give you a lovely mug of spiced apple cider and your choice of dessert, pecan apple. Do you have to take a loan out for that? Well, it is the Fairmont. <laughs> yes, you know. To, yeah. But the nice thing is... It's not an arm and a leg. It's an arm no, or a leg. Or a leg. There we yeah. go. No. Any, <laughs> anyway, the reason. Or a wing. Or a, well, you there you go. Mean. There we go. Anyway, real reason you want to be in San Francisco, November 24th through the 26th, is that Mark Hamill, who just does not do the autograph thing. In fact, the very last time that Mark did a convention where he signed a limited number of things, that was back in 2017, right? Yeah, he did that just, he did for a charity event. Did, he too. did, he did. And, and keep that in mind, because we'll get that in a moment. But Mark is coming to the second ever Fan Expo. Now, this three-day-long event is being held at the Moscone Center on Howard Street. And now, Brian, you've been there. Uh, Mr. Stout has has sold his wonderful sketchbooks at the, the uh, very, I mean, it wasn't WonderCon there for a while? Yeah, the WonderCon was there for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where it started. Mm-hmm. And and then when the Moscone Center, they basically gutted it mm-hmm. and they redid it. And um, they were just going to bring it down, uh, WonderCon to Anaheim mm-hmm. for about two years. Oh. But then Anaheim did so well mm-hmm. that they kept it there. And um, I haven't been to the new Moscone Center, but it it is it's a a neat place to go mm-hmm. because it's in the middle of town. Mm-hmm. You could walk almost anywhere mm-hmm. or take the trolley or the buses and get to you know Chinatown and and the best food in the world is in San Francisco. So, mm-hmm. but now it's a little different though. It is, it is, and you know, and and I think. That for me is is what's particularly exciting about you know, given uh, it's been a tough year for San Francisco. So yeah. the fact that a, you know a fan of event of this size is coming back, and more to the point, that Mark Hamill is going to be the headliner. Not only that, here's the other folks who are going to be there uh, this year: William Shatner, Ewan McGregor, oh, Sean wow. Astin, and Peter Cullen, voice of Optimus Prime. But the headliner is Mark Hamill, and in fact. On Friday night, November 24th, he's going to be appearing live on stage 
at the Fan Expo. And evidently, the Fan Expo people believe that, and again, it's, this presentation is literally being called Mark Hamill Live. They're anticipating that so many people will want to attend this thing that they are selling tickets out ahead for seats. $99 will get you a gold ticket that, that gets you, guarantees you a seat in first priority seating. Now, on the other hand, if you're, you're only willing to pay $29, you'll get a silver ticket. Also guarantees you a seat, just not first priority. And then whatever is left in the hall at that point is available to the folks who have general admission to the event. And that, I imagine, is going to be the Oklahoma land rush for seats. <laughs> just to sort of fill in here, single-day ticket to the Fan Expo in San Francisco. They start at $30, whereas a three-day pass to the event, that starts at 99 and Mr. Hamill is kind of having a moment right now. I mean, have you seen any of the stuff out there for Netflix, Fall of the House of, of Usher? Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of a modern day reimagining of the Edgar Allan Poe short story. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this series for about three years now. Really? I've been hearing about it. Yeah, because I heard it. Mm -hmm. um, it was announced at Comic-Con. And along before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so I think they had to shut it down for a while. But yeah, this sounds really good. And it's done by the same guy who did The Haunting of Hill House. That's the, the reimagining of that. So yeah, this is, this is going to scare the crap out of you. Okay. Well, what's kind of interesting is as we are recording this, the first two episodes are being shown at uh, down at uh, Fantastic Fest in Austin. In fact, our pal Drew Taylor is down there now working the event. So maybe he'll have some insights. And, and by the way, Mark plays Arthur Pym, the Usher family lawyer, who is it's, uh, supposedly so formidable, so lethal in legal circles. He's actually known as the Pym Reaper. Which I, I get, I love that. But I, I love that Mark is back in the spotlight. Well, not only that, did you um, see him or did you know that he was in a movie called The Machine? Yeah. <laughs> he plays the father he of does. Burt Kreischer. He does, and, he does. And if you know about the father, if you listen to Burt Kreischer's comedy and you know about the father, this should be brilliant. Yeah. I, I haven't seen it yet, but I can't wait to see it. It didn't do well in the box office, but it got great reviews. It did, it so. did, and it keys off of that amazing story he tells about what he was a college student. Was it an exchange program? What he was over exchange program in Russia. Yeah. And he gets and he and he robs a train. He does, he does. It's a great story, and I just and then they go back. This. and Mark Hamill yeah. is is going with his son. Yeah. Going, what did you do? Why do they know who you are? You so I can't wait to to see that, but. Mark Hamill is great that he's doing a lot of these things now. Yeah. It's about time. Important to remember that 31 years ago this month, Batman the Animated Series debuts on Fox Kids. Okay, they're, they're syndicated programming blog. And so again, September of 1992, some nine years after Return of the Jedi had been in theaters. And, and at that point... Hollywood wasn't exactly beating on on Mark Hamill's door, or you know, when it came to work. But he he did do the trickster though. He in did. Flash, thank he? you. Okay. Thank you for bringing that up because there's a lot of us who remember the Flash TV series that was done on CBS and how good it was, 
and uh, how frustrating it was that we're, after just one season, it was gone. It was just sort of like, ah, oh, come yeah. on. Also, what's kind of funny, folks, and if you circle back to The Flash from 91 or thereabouts, there's so much of, of Mark's take on the Joker in his trickster. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of DNA there. But anyway, okay. Getting back to uh, Mark's work on Batman the Animated Series, I've only just learned about how Mark's first vocal performance for that Warner television animation project wasn't the Joker, but rather there was a character that he did in an episode called Heart of Ice, which was the 14th episode produced for that first season of Batman the Animated Series. But when they were looking at the, the all the shows they produced, and it was one of these things where it was like, oh, that one's really good. And they actually moved it up. It was the third episode ever to air of Batman the Animated Series. I mean, the show went on the air for the first time September 5th, 1992. This episode aired on September 7th, 1992. In this episode of Batman the Animated Series, Mark voices Ferris Boyle, the CEO of Goth Corp. And this is the guy who ruins Victor, freezes life, and actually accidentally turns him into the, that classic Batman villain, Mr. Freeze. And and remember that what this was one of the reasons that Batman the Animated Series really caught your attention was, if you remember that episode, get Victor Freeze is not Otto Preminger from the live-action Batman. No. He's a tragic figure. There's this really sad story about... You know, how his wife is in a coma and, you know, the only reason Victor's investigating in cryogenics is to keep her alive to try to find the cure. And and this goth core CEO was like, you're spending too much of my money. We're going to unplug the, the chamber your wife's in. And, and that's what sends him down the dark road to become Mr. Freeze. But uh, Bruce Tim, the, the, the co-creator of Batman the Animated Series, at a recent convention talked about first time working with Mark and, and says, look, probably uh, most of you guys know that Mark first did the voice uh, voice work for us on, on the first Mr. Freeze episode. He played the guy who caused Mr. Freeze's wife to end up in a coma. And Mark was so excited and full of enthusiasm for Batman. It turns out he's a huge comic book fan and he really wanted to play one of the big villains at the time. And Tim continues that Mark said, oh, I'd really love to voice the Joker. But at that time in the show's production, we were using Tim Curry as the voice of the Joker. And, and Mark was really disappointed when he heard that. But he then went on to say, well, if you ever need anyone to do a big Batman villain like, say, Hugo Strange, please call me. <laughs> All right. So many months later, we made the difficult decision to replace Tim. And we brought Mark in to audition for the Joker. And he just nailed it. Now, the subject of, of Tim Curry came up because he has a Star Wars connection, right? Right. Um, in the Clone Wars, mm -hmm. when it first started coming out, there was an actor named Ian Abercrombie mm -hmm. who did Palpatine. And um, then he passed away. Mm -hmm. So then they got Tim Curry. And Tim Curry did it for, I think, seasons five and six. Mm -hmm. Then Tim Curry, unfortunately, had a stroke. And then the last season, season seven, mm -hmm. um, the original, the the movie Palpatine, mm -hmm. Ian McDiarmid, he did the voice. 
But yeah, Tim, so Tim Curry was a, a voice for, um, he plays Sidious for about, I think, a dozen or so. Wow. Health-related reasons are, are also cited in why Tim was replaced as the voice of the Joker. I mean, at least that's the official story, that supposedly oh, okay. he developed bronchitis during, over the course of production, uh, okay. and so... Uh, he was then forced to withdraw, and that's what opened the door for Mark. Also, I heard that his Joker in, um, they showed it to kids, that it scared the hell out of kids. Yeah, I'd heard that story too. And what was kind of interesting is I guess the note they got at the studio level is like, look, we don't want Joker to be scary scary. We want Joker right. to be funny scary, kind of like what Nicholson did in the Tim Burton movie. And right. so they did a reset and of course Mark became famous for his work here. But anyway, Mark has all sorts of stories given everything he's done in his career, which is why even if you don't want to get his autograph, you, you need to get to the fan expo November yeah. 24th to, to try to get to this Mark Hamill thing. Now, don't get me wrong. If you want, to bring your Luke Skywalker action figure or your your, your Joker mint on card, you know, for <laughs> the animated series action figure, and you want him to sign, you know, go with God. Just be aware, given how rarely Hamill does anything like this, this is going to cost you. And, and when I say cost you, all right, getting him to sign just a standard 8x10 photograph is $399. On the other hand, if you want the premium experience, so you're getting him to sign a comic book or a book or a magazine or a script, or for that matter, an action figure, okay, $499. If you have a large item, clothing, uh, a full-size movie poster, a prop, that's going to set you back $699, which I know that's pricey. But as Brian mentioned at the top of today's show, the last time Mark did something like this, the money he made, he donated to Force for Change. This was back in 2017. And my understanding is that it's kind of the same thing this time around. So, look, it, it's a good cause. He rarely does it. And, and more to the point, the guy tells great stories. So yeah. make your way to uh, the Fan Expo, San, uh, San Francisco, November 24th through the 26th. And and if you... Is that Thanksgiving? That is Thanksgiving. That's why I brought up the okay. thing of the Fairmount. I mean, it's... It, oh, I, that's right. That's right. Again, it's, it's a killer buffet. But again, you may have already spent all your money trying to get Mark to, to you know, to something. something. So yeah, McDonald's is is nice too. Well, you know, it's it's good to take out a loan because that the the people who are going to be there, it's an amazing. It is. It group is group of people, and I have I think I have action figures or at least pops of every one of those people. <laughs> that's kind of cool. So that's it. I, I might well, have to like you okay. know sell the house. Or uh, no, 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 no. Let, or a kid. Let, I don't know. Let's not do that. Okay. Now <laughs> speaking of uh, action figures, did you see that earlier this week on the live stream Hasbro PulseCon, it was revealed that we are getting a Balin Skull and a Shin Hati, our force wielding mercenaries from Ahsoka. They're getting uh, their own action figures. Uh, these are going to be six inches tall. They are going to be screen accurate. I mean, as in they're going to be wearing the the outfits cool. that we know them f from from the Ahsoka limited series. 
So they're going to be the Black Series. Yes. Yes. This this is part oh, of the, excellent. Okay. Now, mind you, you can pre-order now, and they're twenty two dollars and ninety nine cents each. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, yeah. Downside is they are will not be hitting store shelves, or for that matter, being delivered for those who, uh, to pre-ordered till next year. But anyway, good things come to those who wait, and I bring that up because George Lucas. Back in the summer of 1992. Now, this is five years before he actually began shooting the prequels. But he did an interview about that film. But what's fascinating to read it today is to look at it like what did and did not happen, which we'll touch on on the second half of today's show. Plus, Brian walks us through episode five and episode six of Star Wars Ahsoka. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on that. Yay. All right. But first, before Brian takes it away here, just want to stress that we will be talking about episode five and episode six of Star Wars Ahsoka. And so, uh, and those two episodes, uh, huge. I mean, huge, huge, huge stuff happened. So I guess we want to start, obviously, with... With Shadow Warrior, which, if you think about how episode four ended with the cliffhanger of cliffhangers, Ahsoka in the world between worlds, and who comes walking up to her but Anakin Skywalker. And he says, hi, Snips. And he's not a Force ghost. He doesn't have the Force ghost um, blue around him. Okay, so this had... So much great storytelling and so many, so many shots you could hang on the wall. I mean, beautifully shot. But anyway, what did you think? Well, first of all, do you realize where, where the title Shadow Warrior came from? Uh... Because I, I noticed it right away. And the reason I did is because I'm a big Kajamusha fan. And Kajamusha was a film that Akira Kurosawa did with the help of George Lucas and Francis oh, Coppola. You're right. And the subtitle of it was The Shadow Warrior. And we heard that Kajamusha meant double or shadow warrior. So when I saw the title, I'm going, oh, is there going to be a, a dual thing? Is there going to be a double thing? Mm-hmm. Have you seen Kajamusha? I remember there is that amazing shot in the film where the temple that's on fire behind did literally, you know, the the wide-eyed, wild-haired, walking down the... There, you know, there were images in that you just cannot forget. And it was great because you never really saw Mm -hmm. the war. You just saw the people affected by the war. Mm -hmm. But basically what it was, they they got this citizen Mm -hmm. who looked like the king, Mm -hmm. and they were going to use him as a double... So the king would be wouldn't be hurt, but the king goes out there anyway, and he gets killed. And now this double has to basically run, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. That's it, just in the, a nutshell. But the episode doesn't have anything like that. I think they're thinking more of Shadow Warrior, mm-hmm. like Anakin is still part of Ahsoka, and he even says, "I have to finish your training." So I think it's basically about getting her to become all that she can mm-hmm. because she still she still has an, an anger issue. She still her and Sabine mm-hmm. are still um, at wit's end. Mm-hmm. But now, and that's because 
Anakin didn't get to finish her training. Mm-hmm. So now she's in the world between worlds, mm-hmm. which is basically, it seems like Anakin is now a part of that. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, the, the caretaker of it. But he basically, um, you know, they fight mm-hmm. and she holds her own. Mm-hmm. But then he sends her back in time mm-hmm. to two places. One is where, two places that really um, define her. And that was their first mission with the clones, the Battle of Ryoth, I think it was called. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then the second one was the Battle of Mandalore, mm-hmm. which Anakin was not at. Yeah. But yeah. which she. Again, in the Battle of Ryoth, she made a mistake. Some clones got killed. There's a scene in this which just tore me apart where she's holding the clone's hand while she's saying she's sorry, but then the clone touches her hand and doesn't say it, but just implies that Mm -hmm. you did what you had to do. Mm -hmm. And it just just devastated me. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, then they show the the Battle of Mandalore, Mm -hmm. and... They they show her as a young they do Ahsoka yeah. and the actress mm-hmm. who played the young Ahsoka mm-hmm. played the young Gamora in Infinity Wars mm-hmm. and the daughter of America Fiera in Barbie. Yep, Ariana Greenblatt. Yeah, we're gonna see a lot of her. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't mind just seeing a whole series of her playing Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. There, there are some shots. In this, I mean, for example, when the young Ahsoka is watching Anakin march off into battle, it's like, look, suck it up. We got to get back to work here. You know, just, you know, you make mistakes, you got to move on. And she watches him march off into the fog and we see the explosions and the fire of battle, you know, lighting up this fog bank that Anakin is disappearing into. And what's amazing is it kept toggling back and forth between the noble warrior Anakin and Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. It was amazing. Just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Well, this was actually, they actually showed it in in theaters, Mm -hmm. too, for some lucky people who got to. And I basically think they did that basically to get people excited about it again. And this would have been a great thing to see. But I think they just wanted to push the fact that this was a very special... Oh, Dave directed this one, too. Yeah. yeah, And And I think he did an amazing job. Seriously, if this is the type of stuff he can do, this is why I I want to see his Star Wars Avengers movie. I mean, just sort of like, oh, my God. So Ahsoka has her interaction with Anakin in the world between worlds. And then... Outside of the worlds within worlds, we we have something interesting going on with Jason, right? Right. They get to the um, planet and Jason is looking out into the water. Ahsoka, as we know, fell into the water or fell off the cliff. We don't know where she is, Mm -hmm. but he says he hears something. Mm -hmm. And of course, his mother says, you just hear the water. He goes, no, I hear lightsabers. So then she focuses... Too, and you do hear a very faint. You do, you um, do. Lightsabers fighting. I thought that was cool. Oh, that was that's some great sound design there. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Mm-hmm. Now we know that Jason mm-hmm. is, is force sensitive, mm-hmm. of course, because his father was. Mm-hmm. But um, so I, I hope somebody 
that we see becomes his uh, master because he needs to be trained. <laughs> but but that, that wonderful moment where uh, Hawaiian is taking him away from the, the, the temple and is like, will you train me? No. <laughs> you know, just no. no. Yeah, will you, will you get, do you know how to make a lightsaber? Yes. Yeah. Will you make one for me? No. no. <laughs> you know, it just, I can't. I think David Tennant's doing an amazing he job. He is. He's doing a nice job. Because he's bringing mm -hmm. the C-3PO comedy aspect to it, mm -hmm. but from a, a, a different, very smart person. Oh, and the, the time, mm -hmm. like in the next episode, where I guess he knows the story of does. the wills. Yeah. And I just found out that... George Lucas, his this whole thing mm -hmm. was supposed to be mm -hmm. the chronicles of the wills. They were supposed to be stories mm -hmm. that the wills tell their younglings to get them to, you know, want to be warriors or whatever. And that the Luke saga mm -hmm. is just a story. Mm -hmm. Now, that's what his original idea was, because this was going to be saga one, Luke Skywalker. Mm -hmm. So now this brings in a whole different element of it mm -hmm. to where we can go anywhere. And Hugh Ling has all the stories. Mm -hmm. So it could be great to see him as a, you know, somebody as a show us the chronicles. Mm -hmm. If we're not going to have the wills, we might as well just have Hugh Ling, right? Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right. So we discover Ahsoka in the water. They recover her. She's on the ghost. No, no, she's originally on the ghost, mm. and she's sleeping. Yep. And then everybody's out on the where the temple was, mm. and she comes out, mm. and now we see that she has changed she, what she's wearing. She has. They, they, we're now dealing with Ahsoka the White, which is the look from the series, right? She's now transitioning. Right, the ending of, Clone, uh, ending of Rebels, where she goes to Sabine and says, do you want to... Help me look for Ezra. Mm -hmm. And she's dressing all white. Now the thing is, they redid that scene, and she was in her grays again. So I think they're going to retcon it okay. somehow. All right. So, you know, she figures out from the half of the map and sort of hears a memory off of that and realizes what's happened with Sabine. She's gone off with the notion of she's done this because she, she wants to to try to save Ezra. But then things take an interesting turn, right? Yeah, she goes to the um, the Purgles. She's, they see the Purgles, and they realize that the Purgles is, in, in the history of this universe, people would follow the Purgles mm -hmm. to map the hyperverse, mm -hmm. or the... the um, oh, the hyperspace universe, channels, yeah. Mm -hmm. The hyperspace. Mm -hmm. And... I guess the Purgles, they just go from one place to another, and the one place they go to is basically their graveyard. Mm -hmm. So that's the end of their their journey. So that was probably going to be the end of the journey of where Thrawn and Ezra oh, ended up. I did not know that. And that's why the map mm -hmm. shows the end of it. So now... Ahsoka has this idea if she's going to ask the big one mm -hmm. if there's some way that they can take him. Mm -hmm. And she opens up her mouth, the Purgle does, and they do a Pinocchio. Yuning and, and um, Ahsoka go inside with their ship, mm -hmm. and they are 
brought into hyperspace, a hyperspace we've never seen before. Yeah. Did you notice that? I did. But though, just one quick aside here, because this was a lovely little also parallel plot to what's going on here. The folks back are not happy with Hera. You know, she took a ship after being told she could not go and they, there were no resources right. to, to go after Thrawn and that sort of thing. And, you know, here are three giant ships showing up to collect her. I mean, it's it's a show of force. But there are people on her side. Remember what Carson said? Well, no, no. They, 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 what, it's, it's Senator Organa. Organa. That's right. She yeah. is, she's trying to um, cover for you. But you know what? I think there's people mm. on, when we see mm. the Shadow Court or whatever they're called, mm. I think there's people on there that are Empire they want Thrawn to be back and yeah. they don't want her to go after yeah. him because I think it, it, there's just too much politics. But what I loved about that scene, well, first of all, Carson, the old X-Wing pilot who's shown up in a number of, of these. Yeah. Lovely character. Really enjoy that. But he was out there with his one <laughs> X-Wing sort of trying to, to, to buy Ahsoka and Hera a bit more time down on the surface. And, you know, he's like, you're not going to believe this, and proceeds to go into the explain about the whole Purgle thing. And then, you know, you have these giant star cruisers who suddenly, the, the people on the command deck look out the window and like, oof, you know, because again, here are all these Purgles coming up. And Hera, and Hera says, I think you better get yeah, out of the no, way. No, that's it exactly. It just, it was, you know, I, I, it, was, it was a lovely moment, really well handled. It was handled. beautiful. It was emotional. The way they showed um, the X-Wing pilots, the other ones, yep. the young ones who are following Carson, and how they had a look into them that mm. not only is this the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, mm. but I helped do this. Yep. We're doing the right thing. There you go. And you just get that feeling that they felt that them being on Ahsoka side was the right side. Now, speaking of which, let's talk about our last bits of dialogue from Shadow Warrior that we have an exchange between Ahsoka and, and, and Hera. Yeah, when um, Ahsoka is leaving, she says to Hera, I will find them, I promise. And Hera looks at her, and you just you just feel all the weight come off of her when she goes, may the Force be with you. And then you realize, in the past, when we've heard, may the Force be with you, mm -hmm. it's always when somebody has another journey or something to do to um, complete something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's happening here, too. I also like there was a, a piece of dialogue between Hera and Huang mm -hmm. when um, he talked about Ahsoka's master being an Anakin, and she says, well, what was he like? And he just very, he pauses and goes, he was intense. That was good, too. All right. Moving out of five into six, uh, and and again, a lovely callback to early Star Wars. This one's entitled Far, Far Away. Walk us through this one. Well, okay. Instead of music mm -hmm. or anything in the front, we just heard Purgle singing mm -hmm. during the um, the titles, mm -hmm. and well, you know where we see the the heads of Star Wars, and it goes right into a hyper. A hyperspace like we've never seen before. This amazing, it looks like the same. It's got the tunnel, mm -hmm. but there's colors. There's um, ribbons of colors that are coming past us too. Like this is a whole different way to travel into hyperspace. And I guess Ahsoka's there 
and Huang is trying to, you know, get her to, to focus and calm down and, you know, just uh, realize what they're doing. And he says, remember the stories I used to tell you. And she says, yes, I like the number one, the better, mm-hmm. the best. So was that saying she likes <laughs> the first trilogy the best? I don't know. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So then she says she didn't want to hear a story, but then she says, I would like to hear a story. Mm-hmm. And he starts it a long time ago in a place far, far away. And then you realize, wow, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's all coming around. And then we arrive on the planet Dathomir. And when the Ring of Scion gets there, mm-hmm. the planet is surrounded by a ring, which is actually the graveyard of the Purgles. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting idea. This seems to be, to me, how anybody would get to Dathomir. Mm-hmm. Which would be because is it wasn't there something that said that the Night Sisters were the first to ride the Purgles? I think that that did come up with in the dialogue of the show, and then also we heard that the the Night Sisters were the first to ride the um, mm-hmm. the Mythosaur. Oh, that's right, the Mythosaur. Yes, okay. Mm-hmm. So they could have ridden the Purgles, and then the Purgles would take them to this planet because that's where they would end their lives. Mm-hmm. And that's how this became the other planet for the Night Sisters, the the witches, and that's how Thrawn and Ezra get there. Mm-hmm. I mean, where are they going? Well, they're going to where the Purgles took them, yep. and where are the Purgles taking them mm-hmm. to their graveyard. Mm-hmm. So that's how they get there. So the Ring of Scion gets there. They take a ship with everybody, and they meet the three sisters. Night sisters who are basically the fates. Mm-hmm. There's the crone, the maiden, and the mother. And then you see the Cremerian, which is Thrawn's ship. Mm-hmm. And it lands on this like temple tower. Mm-hmm. And Thrawn comes out and he's got it's gotta be what, a thousand stormtroopers, if not more. Mm-hmm. But you notice something strange about these stormtroopers. Yeah, they're not stormtroopers. They're called. And then in the in the um, if you watch it with the mm-hmm. the captions, mm-hmm. they're called night troopers. Hmm. They're dead. They're zombies. Uh-huh. Now we know what Merrick was. Mm-hmm. Merrick was a reanimated whatever, mm-hmm. and when he was killed. In the Sanjiro way, and the green smoke came out of them. Mm -hmm. That's what these are. The Night Sisters have reanimated these stormtroopers, and they're basically a army of the dead. Oh, okay. At least that's what I get out of it. Okay. Do you think maybe I'm reading no, it? No, 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 I, I just, now it, it suddenly got really creepy. It was creepy before, but now it's oh, like yeah. really creepy. Okay. And that's what I'm loving about this is that Dave is actually getting into the magical mystery mm. part of Star Wars where George never mm. really got into it. Okay. I mean, he did a little bit. Mm. But not, it wasn't really, I mean, the Force, of course, has a certain magic to it. Mm. But this is like a different part of magic. Mm. So 
Now Thrawn comes up and says, okay, you brought them to me. Mm-hmm. And I guess that the three witches were giving Morgan dreams so she would bring transportation there to bring Thrawn back. Okay. And she comes there and then Thrawn says, okay, I'll keep up my bargain. We have to empty the catacombs. That's going to take three days. And then later on, you see the troopers, the night troopers, bringing these boxes that look like coffins. Hmm. So I don't know what they are. Maybe they're night sisters that have died. Maybe they're reanimated. Maybe they're whatever. Hmm. But it's it's another one of these. Now we got a, a mystical thing going on hmm. here. So as they're doing that, they basically send Sabine out to her doom. She she keeps on telling Balin that you promised me that you would bring me to Ezra. And he goes, well, you know what? It happens. So they send her out on what's called a howler, which is this, what would you call it? Like a horse, dog, wolf thing? Yeah, I, I could go with that. So when she comes upon these no, um, nomads who look like um, samurai uh, ronins, mm-hmm. I'm getting the feeling like, this planet mm. is supposed to be like feudal Japan. Like everybody now are just, there's no place that everybody focuses on like like a, like a, a main city, that everybody is just nomads. And they just do what they have to do to survive. And after she, she tries to, to shoot him with the blasters and she just doesn't have the ability to do it, then she takes out the lightsaber and... She's got this newfound ability with the lightsaber, and she takes them all out. Okay. So then she finds these, like, I don't know, are they are they um, crabs? Are they turtles? What are they? Kind of a hermit crabby thing, but yeah. yeah. But, but anyway. But didn't you get the idea that they were, like, villagers, <laughs> like Japanese villagers from the Kurosawa films that would, like, hold sticks on their back, and they, they'd bend over like this, and then that's how they would move and travel? I definitely got that kind of vibe going on so yeah and they were great again they are they're they're friendly they see her right away and you know they don't see her as a threat they see her as a um and you know somebody that they, they can trust and they bring her to their little encampment and then we see ezra and he's standing by one of the the huts and he's leaning against it with his arms crossed. And the chemistry between the two is still there. I mean, and it's weird because the chemistry was originally from a cartoon. And now you have these two live action and they start off right where they left off. Mm-hmm. But then have you ever heard of this term before when Balin and Shin come across the dead mm-hmm. nomads? Balin says that He's going to meet Ezra, mm-hmm. who, or probably going to find Ezra, who is a Boken Jedi. Have you ever heard that term before? No, and in fact, I, I'm kind of intrigued by your reference here, that a Boken is a Jedi trained after the temple fell. The temple has fell. Mm. So Ezra would be one, mm-hmm. as well as Luke. Now Shin says, am I one? Mm. And he says, no. You're something different. Mm. So Balin's got this thing going. He's got this, I don't know, we don't know what his thing is, Mm -hmm. 
but it doesn't seem like he wants to be a Sith. He doesn't want to be a Jedi. He just looks like he wants something different. And like he says, he wants to start from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Now, she says on this planet, and he just, he says something that implies something bigger. So we got two more episodes to find out where that will happen. And now we know what's going to happen. I mean, it's going to be a big confrontation between everybody mm-hmm. and we're going to have some kind of ending. But like I think we've heard before, there are plans for an Ahsoka season two, mm-hmm. which if this weekend, <laughs> if the strike isn't over, mm-hmm. will probably be, a, could be a movie. I think we talked on the last show about how yeah. we just learned about, you know, what's going on with the Lando project that that seems right. to, or at least the folks who were writing it are now saying it's transitioned from uh, a movie to a series. And speaking of, of movie to series, uh, managed to get a hold of issue number 17 of the Lucasfilm fan club because of the headline on the cover, which read, Inside, exclusive interview, George Lucas, the future of Star Wars. And again, this is the issue that was published summer of 1992. So we are five years out from when they actually went forward with production of of Phantom Menace. And so this is an interview that George did with Dan Madsen. It's a five-page piece, primarily about uh, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, the TV series that actually debuted in March of 1992 on ABC. The big film trilogy is done. But afterwards, George wants a break at that point. So now we jump ahead. It's five years. George has done other things. And so he's doing this interview with Dan Madsen. And of this five-page piece, three pages of it, easy, are about the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. But Dan now pivots the topic to what's happening next with Star Wars. And George goes on to say, I said I would at least try to do the next trilogy, uh, which, by the way, will be the first series of films. At this point, whether or not I get around to the third trilogy, I'm not sure I'm going to live that long. But I said I would start working on the next trilogy in the mid-90s, which is coming up pretty quickly. And then the films would come out a year or two after we started. Wasn't the main reason why he did Young Indiana Jones was to see what kind of technology he could use to eventually make these films we will get to that in a moment now george is literally on the money here i'm again remember he's doing this interview late winter early spring of 92 he and he actually does begin writing the scripts for the prequels november of 94 uh filming begins june of 1997 so like almost five years to the day that they are in fact getting these things out in front of the camera and they they shoot all summer and they're done by september 30th of that year and george signs a two and a half year lease with leavesden studio with the notion of he wants to leave the sets that he built for phantom menace in place you know as part of the interview Dan turns to Jordan and says, hey, I understand you've been paying very close attention to Steven Spielberg and Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis as they work on Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3, you know, with those two films being shot back to back. And Jericho says, oh, yeah, well, you know, the, the shooting the new Star Wars movies back to back has always been the plan. So it's like, really? I, had you ever heard that? 
No, I had never, I have never heard that part of it at all. By the way, we just talked about Robert Zemeckis. November of 2015, Ron Howard in an interview confirmed that he and Robert Zemeckis and Steven Spielberg were all approached by George Lucas with the hope that they would direct The Phantom Menace rather than George. Wow. But what was interesting is all three of them, when George reached out, said, uh-uh, no, you need to direct that. Uh, Howard said literally, it's like project too daunting. You know, I'm not doing it. On the other hand, Spielberg, if we go back now to 1992, when Young Indian Jones Chronicles are actually in production, Spielberg was genuinely interested in coming in to direct one of these episodes because, you know, as you keep mentioning, uh, Brian, the, right. the technology that was being used, whether it was the digital set extensions or green screen or that sort of thing, it was cutting edge for the time. And Spielberg felt like, well, if this is where the industry is headed and George spent the money to develop all this stuff, I want to be part of it. But the problem was that at the same time, Spielberg has committed to doing Schindler's List and then Jurassic Park back-to-back. -back. Anyway, getting back to the, the interview, and George gets a little testy. He gets asked about people's perceptions about, well, is the, the new trilogy coming or is it not? And he says, oh, look, there's something that came out in the past, some misquotes that came from a question I, I once got asked at a press conference. A reporter asked me, why haven't you done more Star Wars? And I, I said that after I finished the, the first three films, that I was so tired and burned out from doing Star Wars, <laughs> and I just needed to go and do other things for a while to replenish my creative juices. And, and I then said I would do a new Star Wars in a few years when, when my life was able to accommodate it. And the problem is that answer to that question then got twisted to the press. It, it had me saying that I'm not doing any more Star Wars and I'm burned out from doing them. And that nobody right. actually printed the question that it was originally asked at the press conferences, which was, why haven't you done a, a new Star Wars films so far? You know, because I definitely got to do more of them in a few years. And now we get to the other thing, the, the technology thing. He said, well, you know, there's another reason we've been delaying the new Star Wars films. Look, on, on the Young Indiana Jones series, for this production, we've developed some new production technology that allows us to cut some of the costs, which makes it that much more feasible to make a picture of this size. But it's taken a lot of time to develop this technology, which is why we've been delaying the start of production on the new Star Wars. And he then pointed out, now, if you, you cold-bloodedly look and what we're doing with Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, we are shooting the equivalent of eight or nine feature films in one year's time. And all of that is back to back. And then you know, just a, a sweet little grace note here at the end. Dan is like, okay, come on. So talk to me. What, what, what's going to happen in the prequels? And he said, all right, well, the new films will be about young Anakin Skywalker and Ben Kenobi and their adventures in the younger years. So Dan gets all excited and say, are you going to show the beginnings of the Jedi and the Empire? And George is like, no, that started long before this. All right. So and then, uh, you know, this is the thing that Harrison Ford has brought up time and time again to the effect of when he was on the set of New Hope. George kept talking to him about it. Well, no, it's a kid's film. It's got to be performed in a certain style because it's a kid's film. 
And so Dan goes on to say, look, I, I read that you initially designed the first Star Wars film to be for a 14-year-old audience and that that audience has now grown and has kids of its own. So do you envision the new Star Wars films being directed for that audience or will you aim the new set of films for the youth audience of today? And George is like, look, they're going to be orientated just the same way as the first Star Wars films. They're going to, we're going to aim at the 14-year-old audience. You know, we have to be consistent with the first three, the stuff that was done before, so that these films all fit together in one piece. Now, that makes me think about the new trilogy. And can you actually say that? Is, is that also done in, with the 14-year-old audience in mind? I think it is because, first of all, the um, Revenge of the the last one. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I told you before, Devin, mm-hmm. we were watching a movie mm-hmm. and Devin said, can we watch Star Wars? Mm-hmm. So I took him in the middle of the movie because I didn't know how much he, uh, he wanted to see. Mm-hmm. And it was getting to the really intense parts. Mm-hmm. And after an hour, he says, uh, can we leave? Mm-hmm. And it was before Mustafa. Or, um, oh, Mustafar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mustafar. It was before, right before when that was happening. Mm-hmm. So I took him home, and his mother asked him if he, if he liked what he saw. And he goes, well, we went to see Star Wars. And he was five years old. Oh. And he goes, it was so scary. You couldn't watch it. It was so scary. Oh, wow. So the third one was not done for 14-year-olds. Mm-hmm. Or even, well, he was five. Mm-hmm. But I mean... Maybe it was done for 14-year-olds. But the, the third trilogy, yeah, I think it was. Mm. It just seems like the same the same vibe, the same way of, of taking the other ones. Mm. They were very close. I mean, they were so close, sometimes they even uh, parodied sometimes the what was... There was a lot... Well, what I felt mm. and what I did like about it, there was a lot of fan service. Mm. And it was just making a Star Wars film for the audience okay and rather making something different which george did in the first one so folks that is going to do it for this week's looking at lucas and when brian and i come back we will have seen the final two episodes of star wars ahsoka and honestly i cannot wait to see where the story goes and i think as you you mentioned earlier in today's show how they would go about teeing up a, a second season of the show. But yeah. till that episode uh, gets loaded up online, uh, where can the nice people find you on social media, Brian? Well, I'm just going to focus on Instagram now. Um, I'm It's B-T-G-A-U-G-H-A-N. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the best way to find me because I, I keep that up to date. So, yeah, that's where you can see me. Where can we find you? Still on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and over on Facebook uh, as Jim Hill Media News. And by the way, we do have some other podcasts here. We'd love you folks to sample. Uh, We, of course, have Disney Dish I do with Len Testa. Uh, We have Fine Tuning I do with Drew Taylor, who, by the way, has his own terrific official Mission Impossible podcast he does called Light the Fuse with Charles Hood. We also have Marvelous Disney, which is done by Aaron Adams. Also, uh, he has his own uh, outside show on Patreon, 32nd Street, that has just amazing stories about Madison Avenue. And also uh, probably need to clue you folks in that 
two podcasts that have been on lengthy hiatuses here at Jim Hill Media are coming back. Universal Joint, and I want that, but that's on the heels of Len and Mai's brand new project, Disney Unpacked. It is our first ever video series. Uh, we have created this in collaboration with Jim Shul, veteran Imagineer who spent 30 plus years at the Disney company, uh, creating some of your absolute favorite attractions at the park, things like Rock and Roller Coaster and Mater's Junkyard Jamboree. We will be launching that show shortly. So uh, if you don't want to miss out, head on over to Disney Unpacked on YouTube and subscribe. One other thing, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend this show. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here tonight, if you want to head on over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful as well. And I think that's going to do it for tonight. So uh, thanks again for doing such a nice job with the uh, recaps. Thank you. And we'll be back soon, folks.